Hey there, today's episode is brought to you by Chargebee and Vitaly. Chargebee just launched their 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report, packed with retention insights and strategies from over 300 of the fastest growing subscription businesses. You can grab a copy of the report today by visiting chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C-H-A-R-G-E-B-E-E dot C-O-M forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And Vitaly is bringing in a new era for customer success productivity with their all-in-one customer success platform. Vitaly gives you unmatched visibility into your company's health and success. And now you can measure operational strategies on customer outcomes at scale with goals directly in Vitaly. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all ChurnFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitaly.io forward slash churnfm today to schedule your demo and get your airpods that's v-i-t-a-l-l-y dot i-o forward slash c-h-u-r-n-f-m if you decide to check either of them out please make sure to use the links quoted as it allows them to measure the roi of this campaign and helps me retain them as our sponsors to continue producing churnfm as an independent creator with that being said let's jump to today's episode Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Dominic Constandi, Chief Customer Officer of Zoom Info. In this episode, Dominic shares his favorite country he has visited and how the experience has influenced his work in customer success. We then discussed what separates Disney from all the other theme parks, and we wrapped up by discussing how Zoom Info unifies the customer experience across the various touch points and stops their customers from feeling like they are going through a generic process. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Dominic, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Good to be on. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Dominic is the Chief Customer Officer at ZoomInfo, a global leader in go-to-market intelligence solutions. Dominic started his career out as an investment banking analyst at Edgeview Partners. He made his debut in SaaS at Ease Software as an Associate Director of Customer Success and left as the Head of Customer Success, where his team is managing over $350 million in annual recurring revenue before joining ZoomInfo. He is an avid traveler and is bringing experiences from outside SaaS to create delightful customer experiences now at ZoomInfo. So my first question for you, Dom, is what has been the best place you've visited and why? Oh, best place I've visited and why? That's a tough one. I would say that I would say that different places appeal depending on kind of I think the place I am in my life in terms of my age, if I'm traveling with someone or if I'm alone, the amount of money I have in my pocket also affects to certain places being easier to easier to get around and enjoy. But I'd say I'd probably say Tokyo honestly was 
was one that a trip that I made probably five or six years ago that was that was really spellbinding. I actually bought like Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, that kind of general area in Japan. Just I think that juxtaposition of history and just how well preserved so much of it is, and then just again put right up against the ultra modernization technology. If you've ever been or folks have ever been, the public transportation system is second to none. It literally is. It just, it's incredible. The ease with which you're moving around and it's a tremendously busy and bustling place, but, uh, but it feels, it still feels seamless in a way that they've architected everything for just, I think, efficiency and optimized for, for a traveler or for a pedestrian to get to work quickly, to get to the shops quickly to be able to find somewhere to eat easily, get around. Everyone's super, super polite. I found I don't speak Japanese. I did a lot of sign languaging and pointing at various things, but everyone was very patient with me. And so, yeah, overall, I'd say that was a really fantastic experience. That was one that one that left me all struck. For sure. Nice. You've definitely sold me now. I've uh, been to a lot of places. Yeah. Tokyo is still on the list. I think what struck me now when you were talking about it was just, I hadn't thought about it before, but really is that contrast between the old and new. Yeah. And how it's like a culture rich within history, but it's also super advanced when it comes to the rest of the world. Yes. So I could imagine totally. that being fascinating to see. Totally. totally. Yeah. And just, yeah, it's a wonderful place. And I think that I'm glad that I'm glad that I, that I did it when I did it when I did. I think that if I, there are, I think it would have been a different experience as a student traveling and I, you know, probably equally as fantastic, but just, yeah, I was really pleased with, with the trip. I'm sure it resonates with me as well the different budgets different stages as well there's the oh, yes. places like i would would have recommended 10 years ago now it's it's not a place i want to go for <laughs> so, 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 when we talked about this a little bit in our conversation prior but just you know i think having children my answer changes yeah. Yeah. my answer changes pretty pretty dramatically when you're thinking about where would i go with my kids and yeah so 100 percent yeah, yesterday I was actually just looking at like a Disney cruise. You know, it's <laughs> the yes. simplest and most fun and most relaxing like for everybody. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Nice. So I was also intrigued as well originally when your team reached out for us to have a chat. Definitely, I think the topic resonated for me was around how you're looking like outside of customer success and the SaaS traditionally to think about the type of experiences you're creating for your customers. Like, did Japan have anything to do with that? Maybe as the first uh, <laughs> question. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, one of the things I mentioned a little bit was just that notion. It felt kind of seamless as a traveler. You want, hopefully, for things to, to make sense or feel easier and spend more time kind of focusing on the things that you're excited to see or do and less time thinking about, oh God, am I lost? How do I get there? Am I, am I stuck waiting for a bus or a train or something like that? So definitely the seamlessness part of it. But yeah, I think I draw from, I, I think a lot of times in success and in general, any sort of client service realm, whether it be the customer success discipline or support or implementation or training or onboarding, there's so much that you can draw when you're trying to archetype and orchestrate those sorts of motions for your client base, for your customer base. And I think so much that I do draw upon my experience as a customer. And I think that we, we are all customers of some of something or many things. And there are reasons conscious or subconscious that we make those decisions to be a loyal customer of X brand or Y brand, buy this product, fly this airline stay at this hotel chain. And we make those choices consciously. And sometimes it's just purely based on what the experience was when you last went. Sometimes it's based on a loyalty program. Sometimes it's based on the quality of the product itself, potentially, or a price point. But there's all these decisions that you make. And I think that I think that sometimes if we just pause and you take stock in, why do I like to stay at 
this hotel chain? Or why do I always tend to fly this airline? You actually come upon some pretty interesting answers for yourself that you then, I think, can take and go, oh gosh, maybe I should prioritize that. So creating that sort of advocacy in my own customer base, because there's a lot that's transferable, I think, in those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also interesting, specifically in customer success, because it is a relatively new practice. It's not something like sales and marketing where there's really well-established rules and processes and a lot of experimentation has happened. And I think there's always room for more experimentation, but specifically in customer success, because it really is still being defined and what are best practices and how you can go about it. And there's a lot of like green room. And I think there are like great areas, as you say, where you can draw inspiration from. We actually chatted and it was interesting previously. I think it was Eleanor Dorfman from Segments at the time, if I remember correctly, what they were doing back then was like trying similarly to drawing inspiration and also going to travel industry. And I, I think which one is it? it's like one of the top hotel chains that's renowned for their customer service. They, what they would do is get in like their experience lead to come and do a talk for the customer success team just to get them inspired. And I really found that fascinating, like just bringing in different speakers as well to your own team, just to educate them on how X, Y, Z does that customer service and how are you approaching it? Oh yeah, great point. And I think that I love, I think my my own, I feel it's probably my generation. I'm in my own sort of life in the sense that I don't have as much time to to read a cover to cover book. And that's a real commitment for me these days between reading a book for my child and reading a work email and all these other things. So I tend to try and consume things that, I can access pretty easily and I can come back to again. There was one of the, one of my favorite ones, and this is not going to, this is not groundbreaking probably to, to any viewer that is into sort of experience and customer experiences and discipline, but someone like Disney does a really nice job. It does a really nice job with that experience kind of creation. I think that one of the, there are two things that I talked to my team about actually as it pertains to sort of Disney. And one was just that sort of magical notion that, that there are, if you think about Disney's product, quote unquote product gap sells clothes on HL's they basically sells clothes. Yeah, you know, Home Depot sells home improvement, home appliance goods, things like that. And you think about Disney World and their products in literal terms is probably it's roller coasters, things like that. And there are lots of places you can go in almost any country, especially this one, that that has fantastic roller coasters. In in England, there are lots of different sort of amusement park chains in America, same thing, lots of amusement park chains. And a lot of them are, are regional or local. So you don't have to travel that far pretty often to find a, a really fun amusement park ride. Yeah. I was reading some interesting stat that was saying that on average, and again, this data might be slightly dated, bear me the artistic license. But I remember that there was something said on average, a family that travels to Disney World for a family vacation spends you know, upwards of $4,000 on a trip for the family once you include food, lodging, tickets, that sort of stuff, travel. And that's a lot of money for a lot of families when you could just go to Six Flags or you could go to something local or more local, Great America. And so why do people do that? And you might think, is it, is it the product? And oftentimes when you ask people, and I am just self, self-confessed, self I'm a huge distant friend. I went there a lot as a child. And one of the things that when you talk to people about what really resonates with them about that Disney experience, it's funny because when you ask people, no one, everyone always gives the same answers. And it's the same answers I tend to give, which is it's really well. We think about my Tokyo comment, right? It's, it's really well organized. It's seamless to get around. I never am looking too far for a bite to eat. The rides, the lines, it's all the fast plus system. It's all dialed in. And on top of that, 
things like it's really clean. It's really immersive. The staff really seem to care about, am I having a nice time there? And all of those things that you mention as being like really fantastic, all those things don't actually talk about the product, which is the rides, right? And I don't, whenever I speak to people, very seldom do I hear people say, oh my gosh, it's because they have the best roller coasters or the best rides. Often it's the things that people seem to really remember are all of those other, what you might think are ancillary things that support the product, which is the experience. And I think that, I think that if you, if you took away rides from Disney World, like sure, not many people would go if there was nothing to go for. But the reason why the sort of, the reason why people choose that above other options for amusement park vacations is because of the experience, not necessarily because of the product. So that's something that I always try to talk to my teams about which was just that notion of, I think our product's great. That's, that's my opinion. But you got to realize that, especially in modern SaaS, right? You can spin up a product pretty quick. You can go to market with something. It, it, maybe it doesn't have operational scale and all the bells and whistles, but you can take something to market pretty quickly these days. And bearing that in mind, it's not, the modern era is not, of SaaS is not, you've got all these fantastic barriers to entry where it's just so difficult for someone to bring their product to market. That's not really it anymore. So I think when you, when I talk to my teams about how do you, how do we really differentiate ourselves? How do we showcase that we are, we are the right choice for a customer? A lot of times you can't always just rely on the product. You can't just say for our products better, it's been here longer because people can be on price. People might, people might not need all of your product capabilities. And so then it comes down to what's the experience you're providing. And I think that's a huge component that I think I try and take from something like this world to, to bring that to bear in, in how I think about team. Yeah, definitely. I think from my perspective, I think about my experience as well, going to Disneyland or other theme parks. I think one is definitely the brand itself carries like a lot of weight from the mm-hmm. content that they produce outside. I think that's, that's like the, the marketing something, but then definitely, yes, it is that experience. It's like, Visiting one of their parks, it's an end-to-end experience from every touch point that you have. Whereas in other like theme parks, things are a little bit disconnected between yeah. one uh, one theme to the next. And I think that's also something that I realized like Disney's, you go through it and it, you feel like you're part of the same experience the whole way through. It's not like you're getting transferred to different worlds. Or, and if you are, like that feels like it's part of the experience. Exactly. It's intentional. And it's just, yeah, it's immersive. And it was actually interesting. The last time I... Last time I went, I took my children to Disney World. They actually, it was really interesting. They had, they actually had these little booths or kiosks positioned around the park where they had like an experienced team. And it was just a couple of folks that were there. So if you said, Hey, I sell you something about this ride or something about this beverage or whatever else or something about I couldn't find the restroom. They were there to assist. They were there to, if there was, if there needed to be any course correction or they needed to remediate any sort of you know, malcontent, they were there, they were at hand. So it was just, they had that kind of like just in time sort of experience thing as well. So it was, I, I felt like it was one of those situations where they'd really make it hard for you to leave the park. Yeah. So talk us through a little bit then these experiences that you've gathered and the inspiration. Uh, obviously, one answer is just talking to the team about uh, Disney and how you can transfer that into a product like Zoom Info. But are there any specific things that where you really see an opportunity for innovation when it comes to customer success and within SaaS and how teams can be creating more of these like immersive experiences for their customers? 
I just want to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and Chargebee. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos, so if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitaly.io forward slash FM today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebee.com forward slash FM and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode. Yeah. A f- a f- so there's a, a few spots, actually. I think that, I think one of the things that, especially as you get to a larger point of scale, so this is particularly pertinent for us, I'm sure any business that's our size or thereabouts and above, I think that you mentioned that point, Andrew, where you said it feels connected. Everything feels connected. It feels like it makes sense. One thing's close to another. And I think that when you have a company of, let's say, our size or as an example, You've got a lot of different groups. You mentioned a few, Adi, where you said sales as marketing. There's all of these disciplines that exist. And if you are, again, for us, without waxing on or focusing on Zoomifo specifically, our sort of customer experience organization is 450 plus people. And they all, there's an element of specialization in that, right? And we have people that focus on training. We have people that focus on the onboarding. We have people that focus on connectivity and implementation and integration. We've got, you know, we've got customer success, so focusing on the, the relationship, the value derivation, uh, the advocacy. You've obviously got marketing providing kind of you know, other air support and, and activity. You've got a lot of people that are interacting with a given customer, all at different times, sometimes overlapping, sometimes handing off, and sometimes for different reasons. And I think that one of the things that I see as a really still an area that I think not uns- not unsolved or untapped, but an area where we can all continue to grow and there's a lot of opportunity for us to innovate is in that space of creating a really unified experience across all those groups. I think that anyone, anyone who's being honest, I think could probably say that how many times has an email gone out from marketing that might overlap or double down or duplicate or sometimes hopefully not contradict, but a message that's already gone out from a different part of the company. When you're talking to a customer and having a very specific conversation about a specific challenge or a specific project or a specific thing, is your communication and are the other people who are touching the customer and the account, is that factoring in the conversation that you just had, right? Is it creating this seamless experience so the customer doesn't have to say something again or isn't course correcting constantly. I think a classic example is in the onboarding phase. So you might have a kickoff call and a customer delineate, delineates these priorities. Then that comes out of sort of the pre-sales process. And how much of that, how much of those things did you capture in the pre-sales process so that when you walk into that onboarding call or that kickoff, right, it's building upon the stuff they've already said versus doing brand new discovery. And then when you move them out of that into training, is your training bespoke to the things that they actually care about? Or are you just doing something really generic that doesn't give a monkey's rear about what they've said or what they know or don't know or what they really are nervous about? Are you just training according to your curriculum or are you training in some way that help again, create that continuous experience? So as they're moving through their journey with you, they're saying, oh, wow, like they're really listening to me. And gosh, like this does feel tailored to me and my needs. I'm not just being put through the machine. I think that there's a classic expression that I really like, which is when you think about customers and especially as you're doing things at scale, there is a tendency to process 
because you've just got, you've got a lot to do. You've got a lot of things to accomplish. And as being on this side of that fence, you, you can get into this mindset of I've got to get as many people on board in. I've got to get them seeing value as soon as I can. And you start to, you can sometimes find yourself in this mode of processing versus in this mode of providing an experience. Oftentimes I think about it when you board an airline, but it's busy. Everyone knows what it feels like. Busy plane. They give you the whole like, we got to check gate check bags. Otherwise they'll all come board and it's a full flight and blah, blah, blah. And I think that we all know what that feels like to be herded onto a plane and then you're all herded into your seats and then everyone's kind of getting ready so the flight can take off on time. Now, I don't blame the airline because if they don't get me to my destination on time, I'm angry. So they have a reason to just get things done efficiently and process the situation. But the airlines that I think really, or the experiences I have that resonate are the ones where you don't feel like cattle. You don't feel like you are part of a process or part of through, but it's an experience where you do feel like, okay, look, there's a lot to do. I get it. They're trying to get me on this plane safely. But at the same time, the air stewardess comes by and if you're a loyalty member says, hi, Dominic, appreciate you being a, a whatever status person you might be, or appreciate you being part of our loyalty program. Excited to have you on board. Something as simple as that. It, you sit there and you're like, oh, wow, that, that felt nice. I don't feel just like this anonymous sort of person shoveled onto this plane. So I think other allies do a nice job of kind of making it, making it fun. They have some fun commentary over the loudspeaker. So again, it, there are different things I think we can all do to help shift away. So A, make all of the different elements feel concerted and feel connected and feel customer-centric. And also having a customer also feel like this isn't part of a process, but they are truly receiving a unique experience. Yeah. All of that resonates, I think, for me, both from being a customer as well, like on the receiving end from SaaS. So definitely felt that pain, like going through a sales call, telling them the goals and then getting on with success and telling your goals again, <laughs> and then getting on with solutions engineers and telling your goals again. Yeah. And it feels like it's nobody speaking to one another in this company. Like, why are we going through this stuff again? Uh, yeah. I literally have 30 minutes to give you to try and implement this, this software now and I'm um, going through the same things over again. So I think that's one area definitely like for improvement. Uh, and then the other thing as well, as you mentioned, I'm just interested, like which airline is it that, uh, that makes <laughs> you feel special because I yeah. haven't really been on any of those, I don't think. No, I know. So I'll say, and obviously everyone has their own different airline horror story. So I just, I huge disclaimer on that, but my personal experience has been, so an airline, so I, I fly Alaska a decent amount just because on the West coast, they're pretty ubiquitous. I fly a route from San Francisco up to kind of Portland. That's, you know, that's a, a pretty, pretty common one for me, Alaska airlines. One of the things that I really value there is it's a really similar thing. They are, they're very good, even when things are busy and there's absolute pandemonium, they're very good at making you feel like a person as part of that experience. And the other thing that's really huge, and this is the other thing that's really huge is that for me, especially for work travel, you know, if yeah, I'm not traveling with my children when I'm working. So there are some things I care less about when I'm just traveling as a solo passenger. But one of the things that sometimes will happen is I might need to rebook a flight or as we all know right now, sometimes there are flight cancellations or delays. There's just a lot of disruption right now. And right now 
I tend to place my loyalty in, in a partner or a vendor who, who, who works with me through some of that disruption. So for example, I might get something that says, Hey, your flight got canceled. That's happened to me. Your flight's been canceled. And I get a proactive notification, which is great. And when it, and I can either choose to rebook through the app or the website, but they say, if you want to speak to someone, you can. And I'm, I'm old fashioned, old school. I like speaking to a person and I can call that hotline and literally I will have a person to speak to who is empathetic and who is ready to help me within literally like 10 to 12 minutes. And I'm not, I'm not any fancy status on that, but there's, they're there. And so in those moments where my travel has been disrupted and I'm trying to get home because I'm supposed to be home on this day to help with school pickup, or I promised my daughter I'd take her somewhere. Those moments really matter to me. Those are like my moments of truth as a traveler and their ability to make sure that those disrupted moments are mitigated and it still feels seamless. And I still feel like I get help when I need it. That, that to me is the reason why I'm a huge fan of, let's say, Alaska. And is it because Alaska have bigger seats? I don't think so. Maybe they do, but I don't, that's not the decision I'm making. It's not because their television screens are bigger. It's not because they serve me better soft drinks. And it's not because the food is, those are all things that I'm not making that decision based off of any of those factors. I'm literally making a decision upon one of the things that's really important to me as a customer is in the event of disruption, how quickly and efficiently can I get help? And the answer is very. And so that, when you talk about the, what's talked about in the pre-sales versus what's talked about in the kickoff, right? If you can understand what it is that motivates a customer to make a decision and you could hone in on that, then you're going to provide it. Then you're going to know how to provide the customer with a great experience. And for me, that is literally the reason why I will fly, let's say, Alaska on that route versus anyone else, even if the times are suboptimal, literally, because for me, that's something that I index really heavily onto my experience and they do a great job. And that's why I fly them. It's nothing to do with the plane or anything on the plane. It's just the service. Yeah. Nice. How are you doing this then at Zoom Info? How are you making sure that things are connected and you're getting a unified customer experience? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And honestly, it's still a work in progress. I, I would be lying if I said that, oh my gosh, like I have, I have, yeah, to, I have found the single metric or that this one method that, that is the answer to everything. I think so much of it depends on the product you're working with, the customer base you have, the team you have, the resources you have. I'd say it's, it's I'd say for us, and the team at Zoom Info, I think one of the key things has been for us, I think looking at things or one of the exercises we do is looking at things from the customer's point of view. So we have some pretty complex motions and processes. We've got a lot of different specialist teams, pre-sale, post-sale, because we want to have the right expert in the room at the right time. So we think that's very important, but at the same time, that creates all of the other coordination, communication, seamless challenges or hurdles that you want to overcome. I think for us, one of the things that I've always encouraged all that we've really pushed is when you're building process, oftentimes you'll build it from your lens, right? You'll say, okay, so they're going to do this. And then this team will engage to help the customer with this thing. And then we're going to have this team engage to help set up this API. And then we're going to do this training. And it's all orchestrated from our perspective in the sense of, oh, this makes sense. This is a good flow. 
we get the right resources, we can orchestrate this through Salesforce or whatever else. And this feels like a good motion. But running through the exercise of saying, okay, so now let's take this Visio flowchart or whatever you're using to define process. And literally just figuratively speaking, step onto the other side of that flowchart and imagine that you are the customer and just try and put your ultimate empathy hat on and imagine I'm going to walk through this process and I'm going to pretend that I don't have any sort of semblance of what makes sense procedurally or resource wise. I'm just going to literally live the process. I'm going to, I'm going to be the person at Disney going through the line and Think about how it feels for them and think about, does this flow make sense? Will they say, Hey, but I don't understand. Like, why do I have to do my, why, why do I have to do my API connections now? Or, oh, shouldn't I be trained before this bit? Or wouldn't it be great if I could just have this, con- this process or this part of it collapse down into this other phone call so it's, I can just get it all done at once? Because then I think when you start doing, that's what I was, this ties back to what I was saying earlier, where. Sometimes when you define process and you define flow and you define emotion, it looks great on paper for you. And it makes a lot of sense for you as the software company or as the company in general. But that's, a, that's to go back to my point, that's processing. You're literally thinking about how do I move someone through as quickly and seamlessly, in my opinion, as the best way possible. And you're forgetting that there's an experience element to it. And so by taking your process flow and literally pretending or showing it to someone literally I like to do something. You show it to someone who's outside of your business unit. Show it to someone else who doesn't, who isn't in your world, who doesn't, who isn't walking in with a natural bias. Show it to someone, I don't know, on engineering and say, Hey, so this is the process and you go through it. And then I'm going to do this. And then we're going to do this together. And I'm going to invite you to this call. And then you're going to participate in this training and then see if it makes sense and see if they go, yeah, but that feels like a waste of my time. Well, why would I take two meetings to do that? Why can't you just do it for me in one meeting? Or why can't this be the same person? Why do I have to talk to two different people? It's funny because then those moments you, you get the experience point of view and then you can, and then you take yourself out of your own like mental process world and you put your customer hat on for a second. And sometimes I think that's an area we've probably been guilty of at some point in the past. And I'm sure at some point in the future will be again. And other companies might have run into that too. But I think that tends to be an organizational challenge that us and a few people probably also face as well, which is just how do you find that right balance? Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's a huge problem across the industry. Listening to you talk through that though as well, I think like an interesting concept and I'm not sure if it exists or not would be a mystery shopper for sauce. Like you could hire somebody to like shop for your product and then give you feedback on the experience. I think it'd be amazing if there's something that doesn't exist. A hundred percent. It's actually really funny. So our CEO, Henry Schuck, and Chris Hayes, who's our CEO, they both of them are really big fans of the secret shopper, mystery shopper thing. Yeah. I've had, I've definitely, and this is, I've definitely had situations where Henry or Chris will say, Yeah, I thought that your, yeah, I think the international, your overnight hours, international coverage thing. Yeah, that was, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's pretty, pretty well done. And I paused and I said, well, why do you think that? I didn't present anything to you on it. I didn't write a memo about it. And they said, oh no, don't worry. We, they'll say we, we wanted to check it out. So we literally called at three in the morning. Yeah. Just to see what that felt like, to see if it was prompts, to see if the person who was helping was knowledgeable, to see if it's still it did feel like they were calling in the graveyard shift or something. And it still felt like the business was like humming and the processes were still working. But yeah, to your point, I think that I encourage as much as companies can 
do that for themselves even. And honestly, like take a critical eye to something and say, okay, look, just because I think I do it well, that doesn't put me above, to your point, like a secret shopper or a mystery shopper or something like that, even within your own business. Truly, it's something that we we do a lot at Zimbit folk because I think that you can easily lose sight of what it feels like as the customer yeah. when you're moving. Yeah, 100%. That's a fantastic technique. Cool. And I, we, I'm serious, we've run up on time. So I have two questions. I'm yeah. going to get bullet answers. One question I ask every guest that joins the show is hypothetical scenario. You join a new company, channel retention is not doing great. CEO comes to you and says, hey, Dom, you're in charge. You have 90 days to turn things around. The catch, you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers and figure out what the biggest pain points and start there. You're just going to pick one tactic that you can execute on immediately that you've seen be effective and hopefully that it works at this company. What would you pick? Knowing that short-term solutions don't really do right, well. And it's a 90 day, it's a 90 day time frame. Yeah. yeah. Right. And churn's a problem. And I've got nine days to turn around. And you have one thing you can do besides leave the company and say that. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'd say to me, it's, I think you've got to be able to assess, assess. I think you've got to be able to understand your risk universe. So there's a whole 90 days. You're not going to, you're probably not going to turn any customer who's upset with you. You're not going to turn it around in the last 90 days. So it's those customers that are going to renew or terminate or come up for renewal in 90 days. You're probably not going to get a great rate of saving those. But then it becomes a question of how do I save the next cohort that are expiring in the next 90 days? And so for me, a lot of it is I need to identify where the risk is. I need to, I need to figure out what I'm up against and what I'm running at. And to your point, short of going and talking to a bunch of customers, it's, that's when you've got to think about like, you've got to think about data and you've got to think about, okay, so what's coming up? What indicators am I using? to maybe it's usage, right? But what indicates am I using that might tip me off to where things might go south? That's a super tactical, responsive, reactive, short-term solution. But yeah, yeah. that's probably where I first go if I had 90 days. Cool. Yeah, it's a trick question because it's very difficult to do anything meaningful in 90 days anyway, but it's normally just to understand the tactics. Last yeah. question, what's one thing that you noted about general attention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? That One thing that I know is about China retention, I wish I knew where I started my career. I think ultimately that, I think early day CS, there was when I first started in it, it was that CS attribution was hard, right? Oh, so it's this sort of imperfect science. We just, we're there to make customers feel nice. And I think that the thing that I wish that, I think probably many people wish they had known then was just that CS as a discipline is a hundred percent a discipline that you need to be able to tie and correlate and find attribution towards an outcome. I think that's, that's what modern CS is. That's what I wish I knew back then, which was just at the end of the day, when I want funding for headcount or I need to start an initiative or a program, the first thing I get asked is, okay, great. So how do we track this to an outcome every time? And if I can't track it to an outcome, I don't get funding to do it. So it, that's one of the key things I think that initially Myself and maybe other CS practitioners were in that motion of experience, but sometimes not necessarily connecting it or able to connect it as directly to outcome or to behavior and things like this and to value. So I think that's probably the thing I, I think that I've learned over the years, which is just this, as much as sales is binary and you sell or you don't sell, and that's a very easy attribution model, as much as you can get your CS organization 
to really be able to focus on this activity drives this behavior, which drives this outcome. And there is a chain of events and it is highly correlatory. I wish I had, I wish I had like really just been maniacal about focusing on that right from the start, because I think it's taken us as an industry, a little bit of time to get there with CS, to get to that point of like ruthless focus. Yeah. I can see that. And I can see the evolution of how the market's starting to shift in this direction, at least from the conversations I have. It's been a pleasure hosting you today. I really appreciate yeah. having you. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of uh, before we jump off today? No, just I think that I think the final thing I'd say is just remember that as when you're out there fighting churn or trying to drive retention and drive growth and have CX or CSV an engine for growth for your business. Remember that the experience that you provide a customer and the value that you help a customer drive is not, does not only exist within CX, right? Like you have to build the cross-functional walkways and interlocks with products, with engineering, with marketing really does take a village. And I think that's something I encourage everyone to remember is that when you're fighting churn or you're doing these things that we're talking about on sort of podcast is that the more alignment you have with the rest of your business and the more engaged you have them in this pursuit, the better the company will be at. Absolutely. I definitely 100% agree with that in terms of alignment. I think it's where you should start. I think when you want to start tackling the challenge and the problem, making sure everyone understands the impact that they have. Yeah. Dom, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure hosting you today and I wish you best of luck now going forward. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week. And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitally.io forward slash churnfm and chargebee.com forward slash churnfm, please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.